How can recovery, the serenity prayer, and the traditions of Al-Anon guide me in working for societal change? When should I let go and let God, and when should I work to change the things I can? Welcome to episode 337 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Doug, Carol, Jean, Stephanie, Tara, and Corinne. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Doug, Carol, Jean, Stephanie, Tara, and Corinne for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During the show, we share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here were strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today, and joining me today are Amanda and Becky. Welcome to both of you. Hi, nice to be here. Yeah, thanks so much, Spencer. Oh, thank you for signing up, because that helps me to get going, too. Yeah, this is great. Thanks. So we're doing this on Zoom. This is my first time recording on Zoom, and where are you guys? We're actually both in Liverpool, England, about 15 minutes away from each other, but we haven't seen each other in a long time. <laughs> a lot of Zooming. <laughs> a lot of Zooming to each other over the last five months. I know. Is that crazy? Amanda, you wanted to open with a reading from, from Survival to Recovery? Yes. This is from page 230 to 231. Recently, I realized that practicing these principles in all my affairs really meant all. When I first joined Al-Anon, I didn't yet realize I had to practice principles like consideration, tolerance, and forgiveness outside of my relations with my family, close friends, or in Al-Anon meetings. Principles have come to sustain my daily life. And it continues, Al-Anon principles are like rules of the road. When I obey traffic lights and signs and consider other drivers, driving is safe. If I unpredictably move to another lane or barge through red lights as if I'm the only person on the road, the situation becomes dangerous. The 12 steps are a good roadmap for life, making it safe and sane most of the time. You want to say a little bit about what brought you to that particular reading? Yeah, this reading really speaks to me because it's a reminder that Al-Anon can help me navigate all aspects of my life. I really love this show and I love how we've talked about Al-Anon during this pandemic and work, dealing with family members who are struggling with illnesses. There's a lot of aspects in our life. I think that in using the spirit of in all our affairs, we actually can use the wisdom that we gain with Al-Anon to help us with activism and civic engagement. And I really like this rules of the road metaphor, especially because when I'm talking about something like activism or civic engagement that potentially could be a charged topic, controversial, maybe intense in some way, that does not seem like a moment that I want to throw my Al-Anon toolbox out the window. That actually feels like a moment I need to strengthen my connection to recovery, 
higher power. That's the moment I need my toolbox even more. So that's why I really liked it. Becky, what do you think? Yeah, I love this reading as well, because it points to the idea that we need to consider others when we are making our decisions or our choices, which I think is a big one for me in recovery, because oftentimes I've reacted out of fear, frustration, anger, and I haven't been considerate of family members or of other people in recovery. I can apply this in my activism or in my civic engagement work because I always have to consider other people when I'm making political decisions, what kind of causes I want to support, how I'm doing the activism that I'm doing. So I really like the line about I'm making decisions as if I'm the only person on the road. And I just think it's a really great concept to to bring to politics and to our communities. Okay, well, Alan on principles are like rules of the road. I think we all have highlighted that section. When I obey traffic lights and signs and consider other drivers driving is safe. And I think that that is where I take and use, try to use these principles in all my affairs. I think for me, one of the places that I struggle is when somebody that I'm close to holds a belief, a position that is very different from mine. And the principle, and I don't know exactly what slogan or whatever, but that if I can see that individual as a person with worth, as a person with value, as a person who has come to their understanding of the world and how things work in the world, and maybe somebody who I mean, definitely somebody who may be acting out of anxiety or fear. I remember listening to, I think it was an episode of On Being, and I don't remember who she was interviewing, but this person said the question they always ask is, where does it hurt? And that helps me, even if I don't ask the question, just thinking of it helps me to get out of my angry reaction. How can you believe such a thing? And the practice that I get in meetings, in talking with other members of the program and sponsees, in really just listening helps with that. Sometimes I do throw it all out the window though and drive as if I'm the only person on the road. Yeah, so the topic today is what is the intersection, the overlap, the synergy of recovery with activism, with working for change in the world? And Becky, you have a note here about one of our traditions in the Al-Anon program. Do you want to speak to that? Yeah, sure. The note is on Tradition 10. The Al-Anon family groups have no opinion on outside issues, hence our name ought never be drawn into public controversy. We do not represent any 12-step program. We aim to use the Al-Anon principles in all our affairs. As individuals, we can use what we've learned in Al-Anon as tools to help us navigate our own civic engagement and activism. So I think with this, whilst we can respect Tradition 10 and obviously 
the Al-Anon name and our groups as a whole would never be drawn into politics or drawn into supporting a cause because that would affect our primary purpose. I still think that as individuals who are in recovery, we gain so much, so much wisdom and so much humanity from our recovery from being able to have compassion for others, from being able to really listen and hold space for other people's feelings or needs. I think it's such a valuable toolbox that we can bring to all aspects of our lives and practice practicing step 12 in that way. So without using the name of Al-Anon, we can still use our tools as individuals as we grow in recovery to help our communities on a larger scale. Right. This podcast in particular is not Al-Anon. It is an exploration of the ways in which many people have found some help from Al-Anon, have found some recovery. But, you know, I've talked to people in other programs as well, because the 12 steps are the 12 steps, and, and they're pretty much the same even though the problem to which we're applying them may be different. So we do talk about things here that would not be appropriate in a meeting. Right. For sure. Yeah. But I think it's good to remember that whatever we say here is not the opinion. In as much as Al-Anon itself has an opinion, I would hope that whatever comes out of our conversation today could be something that Anybody who is concerned about things that are going on in the world, in their society, in their town, in their family, no matter what position they're coming from, that they can gain something from our conversation. That's my hope for today. Hope for today. I love that. I saw you have that book in your hand. Yeah, it's really funny you said that because I have the book. Yeah, I totally echo everything that you both just said. And I have one reading that really calls to me from Hope for Today on September 29th. It obviously is not about politics, the topic of the Daily Reader, but there's a few lines that I like. It says, my sense of practicing Al-Anon's principles in all my affairs, as suggested in step 12, invites me to ask for guidance from my higher power, even in matters I once might have considered too personal. My higher power is my partner in everything I do. Today, I can include God in my entire life, even areas I once considered off limits. Yeah, and when I found this, it just really felt so applicable because I think when I when someone might have said activism and recovery, it's almost like taboo, like, oh no, don't talk about politics in a meeting. And I really want to be sensitive to that, but also with understanding that I think this reading invites us to embrace using our Al-Anon tools in a conversation as individuals, mm-hmm. as we are in personal activism, civic engagement. I think Al-Anon can be and should be an awesome tool to take with us into these spaces. See, I just wanted to read that, Daily Reader. No, that's great. I wanted to say as well, I think a lot of the time, these big topics, politics and religion that we just don't want to discuss at the dinner table. They just don't want to be brought up. It's kind of like alcoholism. You just don't want to talk about it. Like, just don't mention it at Thanksgiving or whatever. But the thing is, 
we have to talk about it. It's really super important that we do talk about it and that we can discuss it in a way that is loving and open and not just trying to be right and win an argument. It's a really hard way to think about it. And, and this is the challenge of recovery as well is how do I bring up this really heavy, really complex issue and get a solution that everybody is happy with or that everybody feels they can work with? You know, I feel like it's just so similar in that way. With politics, often I can feel so, so powerless And the same with addiction. Since being in recovery, I've always thought, what can I change, though? This feels so big and so unmanageable, and it's so much bigger Mm -hmm. than myself. What is it that I can actually do? How can I keep my side of the street clean? And what is my role? What is my role within this huge world that doesn't meet everybody's needs or there are injustices? And I, I feel the tools of recovery can be so effective in that way. One example I'll I'll give now, actually, is uh, recently in work, I had a a conversation with somebody who was coming at a topic, a political topic from a very different perspective to me. She's a lot older. She has a different political view. And normally I would I would come at it from frustration. I would feel angry and and just want to make her see my point, you know. and. I reflected on that and I was like, what are my motivations here? What do I actually want to achieve through this conversation? Do I just want to be right? Do I just want to prove my point and walk away with my ego massaged? Or do I actually want to open this person up to the the possibility that other possibilities exist? It's hope, you know, from recovery. How can I open this person up to maybe see my point of view or maybe hear what I have to say? And recovery really helped me with that because I let my judgment go. I didn't judge her for having a different view to mine. I didn't judge her from having a different experience. I wasn't annoyed at the fact that I could not understand how she got to this point, how she got to these beliefs. I came from a place of compassion and from a place of recognizing that we are different, but also challenging her gently to reflect on herself. And bring the conversation back to just the two of us instead of it being this huge and manageable issue. Also, I think not trying to solve the whole problem at that moment is a really good tool that I've learned from recovery as well. Is is not trying to force solutions right then and there. You're not trying to make this person join my political party and have all of these views, which it's taken me years to get to where I am in my political knowledge. I can't make them see all of these things in this moment. All I can do is plant a seed and open her mind. And one of the slogans in Al-Anon is keep an open mind. So I really think I used that in that situation. And it really allowed the conversation to be open and to not be so charged. And I just think I never would have been able to have that conversation without recovery. Thanks, Becky. Yeah, thanks for that. You talked about keeping an open mind. And that's right there in our closing, of course. If you keep an open mind, you will find help. One of the things that you said that really resonates with me is, I'm going to put it differently than you did. You said, I don't have to fix everything right now. I don't have to solve everything right now. It took me 
a long time in my life to learn that sometimes fixing is not what it's about, particularly when somebody would come to me and say, this thing is horrible. All that they want is to be heard. That wasn't the way I was brought up. I was brought up that when you have a problem, you try to fix it. And so when I jump in with solutions, air quotes for those of you who are just listening, that can totally derail the connection that we're making. And so being able to, this is a tough one, but being able to listen to somebody with whom I disagree. Yeah. Very hard. And I will say again, particularly when that's somebody who's close to me, I'm a member of my family that holds very different views than me. This person does not live nearby, so we'll be on the phone. And, and sometimes I just have to leave the conversation. That's the state that I'm at with this person. And my wife does much better. And I'm so grateful to her that she can apply her program to, the, to those conversations, <laughs> even when I can't. Even when I'm in the other room muttering obscenities <laughs> under my breath, she's able to engage. And that's wonderful. Yeah. I learned how to listen from the meetings. It's such an incredible thing that in meetings, I speak and no one is going to interrupt me and I can trust no one's going to judge me. And then I've really practiced that skill for others. And I feel like there's actually a way I can use this way of listening and speaking without crosstalk when engaging in these types of conversations that are challenging for my end. How can I just hold space? I love what you said, Spencer, like someone just needs to be heard, especially when there's emotions running high. There's probably fear, anger underneath. How can I just kind of channeling my Brené Brown (laughs) podcast too? How can I not have defensive listening? How can I just fully listen? No judgment. I'm not going to interrupt them. I'm not going to tell them what I think I know best. I'm just fully listening first. Just to quickly give an example, I also do a lot of like canvassing or now given COVID, it was like phone banking and in that political space. And that especially just asking what are things that they care about, what matters in their life, and just really listening to hearing where they're coming from. Because then I think we could find something that's we have in common and come from there, as opposed to like before program, it would have been completely focusing on what we do not agree on. <laughs> and that doesn't really work. So mm-hmm. yeah, I've thought like recovered listening with air quotes. <laughs> I think that's great. It's so important that we, as human beings, can really hear each other on a human level, not just trying to be right all the time. We have Obviously, we have the slogan in Al-Anon, which is, would I rather be right or happy? Even though <laughs> when it comes to politics, I do think I'm right. <laughs> I need to apply that slogan because the other person on the other side of the table also believes they are right. And if we continue to just try and beat each other in an argument, we're not going to get anywhere. And yeah. I think this is the thing that I've learned with recovery and speaking about this kind of stuff is what is my motivation here what is my motivation for the thing I'm just about to say where is this coming from am I coming from trying to 
know the latest statistics on housing? <laughs> Am I coming from trying to prove, catch them in a lie or catch them in a hypocrisy or something? Or I trying to come from a place of curiosity and trying to un genuinely understand how they got to this belief and potentially challenge them on that, on their personal feelings, on their personal perspective, and try and challenge them to look at themselves rather than us debate about something that is outside of both of us. You know, that's one thing I think is a massive thing with how we can apply recovery to activism and politics is that looking at ourselves first, looking at ourselves first is so important for these huge issues because we are all part of this society. We all play a role and asking ourselves, what is our role? And also challenging others to do the same. Yeah. yeah. The person who, who, who asked about how do I combine activism with Al-Anon? In Al-Anon, I'm learning that I can't control others' actions, others' decisions. The thing that I first learned, first heard, and, and learned to apply when I came to the Al-Anon recovery was that I do not, I cannot control other people. I cannot control their actions, their decisions, their beliefs. And the first slogan that I took for myself was let go really short, not even let God, just let go. <laughs> the principles that are emphasized like detachment with love, hopefully eventually we get to detachment with love acceptance, the other program. There's that famous acceptance reading. Acceptance is the key to all my problems today. But when there's something going on in, in my life, in my family in my city, in my world that I really find difficult to accept? Do I have to put my recovery aside? Or we've talked some about taking recovery principles and bringing them into these difficult conversations, courageous conversations, I've heard them called. Hmm. So I'll just say a little bit more, and then I'm going to turn it over to you guys, that what I have come to understand in my life about acceptance is really summed up in the serenity prayer. Accept the things I cannot change and the wisdom to know the difference and then the courage to change the things I can. It's kind of in a weird order when you think about it, but I have to understand first where I have power and where I don't have power. Okay, the program is not telling me I don't have power. It's telling me to understand where I do. And when I understand where I do have power, then I can actually maybe affect some change in the world. So that's my thought on, on how that goes together. Now I want to hear yours. Oh, this is the main challenge we are confronting right now. And it's been one of my biggest questions being in recovery. I would say short answer, serenity mm -hmm. prayer, responding, not reacting, checking in with, yeah, my feeling, motive, purpose, taking action driven by my higher power, love, light, as opposed to maybe anger and fear. These are short, quick answers. Becky, what do you think? And then we'll all carry on after. 
So I really use, in terms of accepting things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, within activism, is I also use let go and let God. And it's figuring out where do I have power? Where do I not have power? What am I accepting? What am I not? Or or what? I mean, we've talked the Angela Davis quote is, what is it? I can't remember what it is. (laughs) I've got it here. Yeah. I am no longer accepting the things I cannot change. I am changing the things I cannot accept. Yeah, trying to accept, yeah. So for me, the biggest thing with courage to change the things I can is finding out, okay, where do I have power? And oftentimes that is local community, figuring out, accepting things I cannot change. I cannot change the fact that we we live in this ginormous world and there are so many issues, right? There are so many problems and I want to be involved in everything. I want to give money here. I want to sign this petition for something in the Middle East and you're going to lose your mind doing that. But it's figuring out, okay, what can I, what is actually within my power? What's going on in my local community? Where can I affect change down the road? It's thinking globally, but acting locally. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before. Mm. And that really helps me. Where do I actually have power? What is my side of the street? It's the hula hoop thing. It's like my hula hoop is my community. I can go out and help in the composting and the allotment. I can speak to my local MP or my representative in America. And it's something that's really helped me in local activism. In a recent general election, I was really frustrated with the situation in Britain and and wanting, wanting to change a lot and wanting to, you know, you go on Facebook and Twitter and you just feel so bombarded with so many problems. But what I did was I, I just looked in my local area. I was like, okay, my local political party that I feel matches my values. I was already a member, but I became active in my local party instead of just reading things on Facebook or whatever. I, I contacted my local branch secretary. I went to some meetings. I joined in with where can I most effectively put my energy right now? So I campaigned in a marginal seat. My area is very solidly one political party and it's not really going to shift because the community is very, it's very left wing. So it's always going to vote for that party. But there is a local area that, that isn't that way. So it's like, okay, that's where my energy is best served. And that's what I have power over. That's not necessarily I have power over it, but that's where I can actually put my energy and feel satisfied and could potentially affect change. So I switched off from the national campaign and just focused, okay, I'm just going to go here and this is where I'm going to put my energy because I'm only one person. The serenity prayer helps me with that because I can't change the whole country. I can't change everybody who's going to vote for the for the party that I'm not going to vote for. But I could go and speak to people one town over and say, hey, I'm a local person and I believe in this. What do you think? And I can try and change their minds or have a conversation to plant a seed that maybe next time they'll think differently. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. We got a a voicemail from Mark. Let's listen to that. Hi, uh, it's Mark. I'm calling on that potential topic about recovery and activism. And I'm not opposed to those two things in any respect. I just have a lot of reticence about it because of my experience in the program. And I'm in Al-Anon and other programs, but there's this 
repeated reference to singleness of purpose. And it's such an open and welcoming and flexible program in a lot of ways. But everything is directed back towards not only alcoholism, but people who are affected by alcoholism. Not by my qualifiers, but myself. Very narrow focus. And then you do the steps and you get through to the 12th step, hopefully, where you can bring these principles to all of my affairs, which would certainly enable and energize activism. But to me, there's a real strength in going through the program and maintaining that focus on the program. It's such a Pandora's box, particularly today, even among a group of people that are in recovery and are used to sharing and not judging. It, it seems to me that we're asking a lot of people, you know, we're testing that principle, and I'm not certain it's appropriate to do so. In, in terms of the show, sure, you can do whatever you want. It's not a meeting. It's not Al-Anon. It's not Naranon. It's none of those things. So you, it's, it's certainly a, appropriate to talk about it. That was my strong reaction to even the topic of it. There is this great body in the fellowship that can do a lot of wonderful things in the world, but the number one job always has to be yourself, to keep the focus on yourself and your program. Everybody's having a great day, and I'll talk to you again. Bye. Thanks, Mark. I think that echoes some things that we've been saying here. Uh, and what it reminds me is, and, and I thought of this while you were talking, Becky, that one of the ways that I can use my recovery to help me be active, to help me work for change, is the tools that it gave me to look at myself, to understand what are the things that are really important to me, what are the things that I'm passionate about, that I care about? And maybe through that, find both issues to focus, ways in which I can work. I continue to face this challenge, for example, in my church community. I've been there for a while now. So I get asked to do things. And when I was young in recovery which was not young in years, but, you know, that's the way that works. When I was young in recovery, I would be like, oh, yeah, I should do that. Yeah, I can help you with that. I could do everything. And I've talked about this before, but I came to a point where I overloaded myself. And I wasn't able to bring to all of the things that I had volunteered what I wanted to bring to them. And I think it can be really frustrating when there are so many things that we want to change. And I have to pick one or two places, and I have to pick the ones that I care about and that I have some notion that I can do something. And at least for today, let go of the others. Not stop caring, but understand that if I try to do a little bit of everything, I'm not going to accomplish anything anywhere. I think that keeping the focus where Mark, Mark talked about singleness of purpose, yes, that's true in our recovery. It's also true in other aspects of my life as well. If I have singleness of purpose, if I have focus, I'm much more likely to actually accomplish something. What do you think, Amanda? You've been nodding. 
Yeah, I'm like always nodding. What Mark said made me think of one thing and what you said make me think of another. So I'll try to get both in. (laughs) So the first is, yeah, I like that he brought in, I think that's tradition five, that singleness of purpose. And what I'm reminded of is concepts four and five. I have them here if you don't. Oh, yeah. Do you want to read them? Yeah, concept four is participation is the key to harmony. And five, the rights of appeal and petition protect minorities and ensure that they be heard. Thank you. So I feel like singleness of purpose, tradition 10, these are all really good things to keep in mind. But this reminds me that it is a recovery pillar to be, to participate in my community. And participation I mean, it's right. So beautiful. Participation is the key to harmony. And actually, it reminds me of another hope for today one, which I heard because I listened when you did an episode with, I think, Akila on concept four. I think you guys mentioned this. I know it's a long time ago, probably. I didn't listen to it long ago. It says on page 99, I grew up seeing the extremes of decision making, dominance, and a lack of participation. Before Al-Anon, I never experienced being a part of a group working in unity to make collective decisions in a respectful manner, as suggested by Tradition 1 and Concept 4. Because I hadn't learned how to find my own balance between domination and deference, I usually kept quiet. It goes on with some great stuff. A fight always started when I expressed my opinion. At home, I always gave in to keep the peace in Al-Anon. I have learned a different way. And I feel like this is a moment where we can use a recovery principle just like in this space, you know, not in a meeting, but how when we're in this activism, civic engagement space, can we think about it? And I teach. And one thing that I often do with my students is these phrases like take space or make space. Can you step up or can you step back? Mm-hmm. And it's a way to be aware of how can we all equally contribute and can we all equally have our voice be heard and engage? It's getting bigger in my head now. Yeah, I feel like this does remind me that there is an Al-Anon principle that encourages me to participate and to honor the fact that I want to have a community, a society, a government, a world that is in harmony. You know, this mentioned tradition one, that's about unity. So that feels really important to me. Another one that you were talking about, I'm super over-responsible. I'm also in another program similar to Al-Anon, Adult Children of Alcoholics. And one of the traits is being over-responsible. And that's definitely an effect of growing up in an alcoholic home. With that, I have to be careful about my own self-care and keeping the focus on myself, not overextending myself. And this is huge in activism world, I'm sure in politics, really in anything, also in the nonprofit sector, it's really important to keep those external and internal boundaries strong. So I'll give an example of lack of self-care prior to recovery when I was engaged in activism. Maybe like five years ago, it was like my weekend day, way overextended. I woke up, I was teaching yoga at the time. So I was, I'd go, I'd teach a yoga class like then go to this protest and it was the middle of freezing winter New York hours (laughs) protesting, which for a cause that is really important to me. Actually, I don't like how I'm saying this. Okay. I'm going to say it better. Sorry. 
So like five years ago, I would, on maybe a weekend day, I would wake up, overextend myself by in the morning, I would teach yoga class, spend hours protesting, even when it was really cold New York winter. And in the evening, then I was also waitressing and I would like, do a whole Saturday night evening shift on my feet for hours and then probably only enough time to like scarf down my food and, and go, go, go. Which, you know, like, where is the self-care? Yeah, there's, there's none. Yeah, obviously that wasn't always, but that's just one example in my mind of I was really not taking self-love and self-care in that moment. And this year, I remember there was a day that there was a protest going on for a cause I care deeply about. In the morning, I chose to not go with the the group. And I went to a meeting because it was Saturday morning. I went to my meeting. I went from the meeting to the protest. It was really rainy. It's England. <laughs> and I chose to, after some people were staying, some people were going to get food together or something. And I remember just like noticing in my body, I'm kind of going into halt, you know, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I'm, I'm tired. It was rainy. And I decided that Really, I needed to go home, just chill with my partner. We had plans later just to take it easy, take it slow. And that is really acknowledging. It's it's actually kind of like a let go and let God moment of what can I do that's manageable? And then, you know, that's enough. Let go of outcomes. I need to step back, take some self-care and not overextend myself. I feel like I spoke to a million different topics right there. I don't know how much of a ramble that was, but. That was great. What I'm going to say is I believe in the power of stories. I believe in the power of telling our own stories. I can talk about abstracts all day and all night, and it won't have the impact of a simple story like the one you just told. So that's my thought. How about you, Becky? Okay. I have a story around letting go and letting God, which I think is really important and very much similar to what Amanda has talked about here. I've spoken about how letting go of politics and the big issues that I care about and just focusing on what I can do. I think also part of that is accepting that I might not get what I want either which is a really hard one, is another one that I feel is very recovery focused. You know, I can only do my side of the street. What the other person decisions they make is up to them. I can just do my bit and whatever happens, happens. And it's all in the higher powers, hands and time. (laughs) And even though I feel so impassioned by politics and I feel the injustice so strongly for my own serenity, for my own peace of mind, I have to let go of outcome, which feels almost impossible, (laughs) but it does in recovery as well. You know, so recovery has really, really, really helped me with activism and my civic engagement. Again, I'll talk about the general election that was just before Christmas in the UK. I did a lot of canvassing, going around to people's houses and knocking on and just talking about politics, talking about the local people who were stepping up to be our MPs and what they thought. I really wanted to apply my recovery because previously when you have a general election, you don't get the result you want. It can really you know, send you into a spiral and it can just feel so big. And 
you can feel so powerless and it can be so overwhelming. So I wanted to completely, even before I started campaigning, I was like, I cannot control this outcome. I can just do my part. What I did was I, I just campaigned. So I did maybe two door knocking sessions a week, maybe just one because I was working full time. I have a life as well. So I did one or two door knocking sessions a week and it would be a full maybe four, five hours of door knocking. So it's a big session, you know, I would just do that. And then at the end of it, I would go home and try and switch off as best as I could. It really did help me just recognizing the fact that I can't control outcomes. So there's absolutely no point destroying myself to try and get there because it's not in my hands anyway. It's not in my hands. It's a higher power's hands. Personally, in recovery, I struggle with the concept of higher power because I wasn't brought up in any kind of spiritual home. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that who listen to this podcast. I consider as well the group being my higher power, the, the power of people coming together to share and to express themselves and support each other. I feel like that's a very powerful thing. At times before when I've lost touch with my higher power, I have a tentative relationship with a higher power but I'm working on it. I've relied on the group to be my higher power. I've relied on my fellows in recovery to be my higher power to a certain extent or connect to a higher power. And I have related that to my community. Everybody coming together in my community can act as a higher power. Everyone's contributions becomes the outcome, if that makes sense. Mm, conscience. Yeah, right. It's like group conscience, of course. I'm only one member of this community, of this nation. And it, it's of our a general election. It's just like a group conscience. Everybody has a vote. Everybody has a voice. It's up to each member to, to use that. It really helped me to make my campaigning and my activism manageable. And when we had the general election result, although I had emotions around it, I still had this, this I don't know, there's some kind of hold on the bigger picture, some kind of hold on the fact that, okay, maybe this didn't go the way we wanted this time, but it's in the higher power's hands. And I had something to fall back on. I had something to fall back on and think, you know what? This isn't in my hands. It's the higher power's hands. And it's within the group conscience to decide where our nation goes and what happens. And I have to let go of that. Thanks, Becky. It does help. It does help. Thanks, Becky. I want to play this uh, voicemail from Lynn now. Hey, Spencer and the Recovery Show community. This is Lynn in Texas calling with a share with some thoughts about activism and recovery. I, as a white person, have really struggled with this. Fighting for social justice was something that I actually now see as an indication of one of my character defects. I have a real passion for making sure that everything is fair. And when I perceive something is not fair... I get very activated and have since I was a little girl. Thanks to my recovery program, I got into recovery right at the end of 2016. And I really needed recovery at that time. I needed every single day to be reminded of what I could not control, particularly the political opinions of people in my life. But over the past four years, I've been able to apply program to this area of my life by starting with an inventory, really getting clear about what I can control and what I can't, and then applying the slogans. If I can 
change something or work on something, let it begin with me. Live and let others live. If that means putting up some boundaries with people who might say things that are hurtful to me or that run really counter to what I know to be true, I can put up those boundaries. But in safe spaces, within my program, I can also look at what I think I know and what I hold to be true and and pray for an open mind. I think one of my major shortcomings is thinking that I know what's best for everybody, including perhaps people of color. And what my program has taught me is that I need to listen more than I speak when it comes to this area. And if I maybe read something online that gives me shame of past behavior that I've had, I get to work on that myself. I get to take that to my sponsor. I get to take that to my journal. I get to pray about it. I get to look at why I might take that criticism personally, and also why I might feel like as one person, I can change the world. And that I now know is not my primary spiritual aim. My primary spiritual aim is to do the inner work. And I think this anti-racism work that a lot of people in this country are doing is an inside job. And that's where change begins. I have small children, so we talk a lot about recovery. We talk a lot about how we can be allies as white people and how we need to just be willing to be humble and to listen rather than to speak and shout. I I also, thanks to the program, can have respect and compassion for how people deal with this in different ways. If people feel like going out and protesting and, and being loud and vocal is for them, I can't tell them that that's not what they should do, especially during a pandemic. For me, I, I know that my silence can be complicity, but sometimes my silence is also because I'm doing a lot of the work. And I know God will work through me to let me know when it's time to speak and how to speak and to use my voice for good. But I, you know, my leadership comes by being a trusted servant of my higher power and of this program. If I can keep my program center in, in my, you know, front of mind, that helps me not engage in some of my character defects that might feed the activist soul. I, often questioned when I first got into program, how can I be an activist and an Al-Anon at the same time? And I'm still working that out. And I'm really grateful that you are opening for shares for this, because I think that there's a lot of wisdom to be shared on this. And sometimes it doesn't come up as often as maybe as, as it could in, in in-person meetings. So I look forward to hearing others' shares on this. And thanks for all of your work. Thank you, Lynn. One of the things that I keyed on in, in Lynn's share is boundaries, um, both, I think, internal and external Oh, yeah. One of my major shortcomings is thinking that I know what's best for everybody. There's words for that. There's the mansplaining word. And I have caught myself doing that a few times recently. Oops. How did Lynn speak to you, Becky? Wow. Yeah, I'm so grateful for Lynn sending in that share because things from that really spoke to me. Oh my God, where to begin? The fact that unlearning things is an internal job. I really, really believe that. And this is how recovery helps just so, so much because with politics and these charged issues, we can serve ourselves to solve and fix, get defensive. It is so important we look inside ourselves and unpick these ideas that have been told to us by our world as a whole. I don't believe that anyone is born racist. 
It is a learnt behaviour, exactly the same way that dysfunction is learnt in an alcoholic home. Recovery really helps me to look at myself. I'm white, so I have benefited from a system that believes white is right. In Britain, we have a huge race problem. We have a huge history of racism in this country. And I have benefited from that culture. It's really important for me to look at myself and my attitudes and my behaviors that as an adult, I need to be accountable for. It's just so, so important that we can look at ourselves and say, why am I responding the way I'm responding to this? Why do I want to make it somebody else's problem? What is my role? In Al-Anon, for example, learning about the merry-go-round, we all have a role to play in this this dysfunctional world because there are injustices, there are things that are going wrong, (laughs) you know? And it's like, what is my role in this? How can I step back from the dysfunction and stop it? spinning so yeah so grateful for Lynn for bringing that up and Mm. the other thing I would think about which again reminds me of our race I'm going to talk from a British perspective because I left America when I was five believing that we know what is best for others (laughs) is a huge thing in recovery it's a huge thing I did it with my qualifier I thought I knew what was best for her I would tell her what she should be doing I would book doctor's appointments for her to try and get go and just fix herself and whatever and thinking we are somebody else's higher power is something that Britain as a nation has done to so many countries (laughs) we've done that to so many we've gone there and we've believed that we are better we have the answer and we're gonna organize these people this culture is how we've built our wealth you know it's how we've dominated we've controlled so much of the world through that belief that we are supreme and we are the best we're gonna look after everybody whilst pillaging all of their resources it's it's exactly the same thing it's a very racist belief you've used it in a very racist way and and it still prevails in our society today thinking we know better i think as a culture we just think that white is better than black or white knows what's best for everybody thank you thank you um how about you amanda yeah thank you lynn for calling in really really great thoughts and i definitely resonate with that question of like what does it look like for me to be an activist and an al-anon and i think that's really the crux of this i really resonated with so much in her share (sighs) yeah let's see i guess one thing that's really hugely important to me is acknowledging who am i what perspective am i coming out what perspective do i have in the world i'm half white, half Indian. So I'm partially have the the people of color experience, but definitely not entirely. I come from a middle upper class space. I'm a female, I'm straight. Like there's so many privileges that I have. There's also privileges that I don't have, but I think it's really important to I really like that Lynn mentioned as a white person, especially dealing with some of these topics, it's the really tricky space and place. It's challenging. I'm like feeling like I'm not speaking about it very well. I think the fact that we all struggle with it, I think is, is human. I think it's actually important. Yeah. Because of what Lynn and Becky and you and, and I are, are saying about 
oh, when I came in here, I thought I knew what my loved one needed. I thought I knew what was best for my loved one. And I thought I knew what was best for everybody else. In practicing this program, in just sitting in meetings and hearing the variety of experiences and understanding at a very gut level sometimes that what worked for that person is not going to work for me. And therefore, what works for me might not work for that person. Uh, You know, I came in with a particular experience and being able to share that experience, some people identified with it, some people didn't identify with it. Just being able to hold those differences, you know, to hear somebody talking about their struggles with their loved one and inside my mind, I'm screaming, get the F out of there and not saying it. Gosh, there's so many things. One is that just in terms of where I'm coming from, I remember the person originally asking about this. I remember they wrote or said, looking forward to hearing from people of color or activists. And and I really want to hear from more perspectives here. But I do really like what Becky was saying. It's kind of like this communal experience as well. Just like we've all have this experience of living with being friends to somebody being affected by alcoholism. There are other isms in our society that we are all affected by. It might be obvious to us. It might be the water that we're in. There's that fish water metaphor, like racism, sexism, ableism ageism. These are all ways to have distorted thinking. They're all dysfunctional systems. And this is a huge parallel. We haven't really talked about this, but how I feel like my experience with alcoholism connects with my experience with wanting to change uh, a dysfunctional society because there are a lot of parallels. The thing that is the crux for me It's kind of like, Becky, what you said before, like, what's my motive here? Is my motive that I think I know what's best and I just want to get in there and fix it? Or is it after gaining awareness? Oh, this reminds me of three A's. Maybe I'll speak to that in a moment. Gaining awareness and having that perspective, how it feels connected is that, am I coming at it from character defect, wanting to control? Or is this me breaking a cycle of dysfunction? You know, let it begin with me. You know, I think she mentioned shame. I know Renee Brown mentioned um, shame in her recent podcast, like specifically around shame as a social justice tool and how it's actually not a social justice tool. It does not work to shame people. When we're coming from those places, maybe if we feel shame around the fact that there has been some whatever problematic things, we've lived in a problematic society. There are things that are going on that breaks our heart. What is it that we can do? to break that cycle dysfunction, to keep our side of the street clean. And I think come from a really healthy place, especially if we're using all these tools of recovery, recovered quotes, listening, taking in all perspectives and and really trying to group conscience about it, right? Not dominating, not completely stepping out of everything. I think that might be the difference. Going back to that Angela Davis quote, what are those things that I can do and I can change? Also, the three A's have really popped up for me, but I don't know if you guys want to say anything before I go on that rant. <laughs> no, the three A's are, are, are 
our key here, awareness that there is something going on, acceptance that this is what is, as part of breaking denial, is that acceptance like, yeah, this is the way things are. Speaking from personal experience, I grew up in the 60s. And I honestly thought we had fixed this race thing. I honestly did. And part of that may be the bubble that I live in, but part of it is not being aware, maybe even deliberately not being aware. And so when things started to blow up a few years ago, in this country at least, breaking that denial is the first part. Coming to accept that, wow, what I thought we had fixed in, in the 60s and 70s, we haven't fixed. Then maybe I can step out and do something. That's the three A's for me in this context now. Yeah. Go, you go. I love that. There's some quote somewhere, some daily reader that's like, I come out of denial, I let go of denial, and then I celebrate truth. Mm. And I really love that. We have really talked a lot about trying to gain perspective and hearing from other voices. And I think that that's a huge step in the awareness, really being out of denial, like maybe things aren't so bad because maybe things aren't really bad for me personally, but maybe it is bad for others. And I need to really hear that and hold space for that truth and also gain awareness around my own feelings, like really honoring my body. Like, am I reacting out of fear, anger? Is this feeling like a grounded place? Like all of that to just gain awareness around how I'm feeling around something. And acceptance, this is like the biggest challenge for me. When I first came into Al-Anon, it it was actually a a new way to think about it for me was the alcoholic in my life was in and out of the hospital and making decisions I really did not agree with, which I'm sure people can understand. Something that unlocked for me, acceptance is actually not approval. I mean, from years ago, like applying to college, you think of getting approval and getting accepted into college. I think that's where my brain was connected. That's random. I don't know. Yeah. Acceptance is not the same as approval. And the reason that that's important is that maybe I don't agree with something that's going on, but I I do have to accept it because once I accept it, I'm able to let go of all of the upset around it. Oh no, what am I going to do? Like, just accept it. And then actually by pausing, by acknowledging how I'm feeling, what's going on, what are all these things that I'm feeling, accepting and and understanding what other people are saying about this topic, kind of like gaining emotional sobriety. You know, there's that good reading about being emotionally drunk, maybe tsunamied with anger, fear, whatever. I think that if I'm not in acceptance around something, then really... I won't be able to respond. If I'm not in acceptance, I'm going to react. That's going to be a knee-jerk reaction. And I really feel strongly that these issues are charged. And so as much as we can, can we handle them and de-escalate in a de-escalated sense? Can we come from a place of love, invite higher power in? How can we take that? And it's really easier said than done. Like This is really challenging, especially when a lot of controversial issues hot topics are literally life and death, much like we've experienced in alcoholism. A lot of people personally get involved because their child's 
was lost in a school shooting because their child was murdered by the police or someone died because they didn't have access to health care. Like some of these things are very personal and charged. So as much as we can try to gain that acceptance for ourselves as well as understanding for others, I think that that would help to take action that is, yeah, is coming from our true purpose, is coming, I don't know, from a place of love, using all of our Al-Anon principles. Thank you. I am feeling like that is a nice bow on the conversation. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. And our first musical selection, who wants to introduce this one? I will. Okay. Our first musical selection, which you can listen to on the website at therecovery.show slash 337, is Peter, Paul, and Mary with We Shall Overcome. Yeah, for me, this song is about hope while struggling with alcoholism or activism. The feelings um, and wishes resonate with me and how, yeah, and how I feel with both contexts. And I really love the feeling that there's a lot of trust built in. It really sounds like living in the solution as opposed to focusing on the problem. Some of the lyrics are, we shall overcome, we shall overcome, we shall all be free, we shall all be free, we shall live in peace, we shall live in peace. We shall live in peace someday. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome someday. Someday. Someday, which kind of ties into one day at a time, progress, not perfection. Hmm. Lots of Alan on in there. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. How have we experienced recovery this week? And, you know, I have to think about this. I, I, I think you've heard me say too many times, life is so much the same week to week now. It, it feels very flat in, in many ways to me. And maybe that's a privilege. I'm sure it is. But one of the things that I've been struggling with over the last several months is not I don't know, having the energy, the inspiration, the something to do the podcast every week. Because that was sort of like, I had this commitment in my head, like I have to do it every week. Because that's how we started out. We started out and we could kind of push each other. And when one person wasn't feeling it, the other two. And that's why I love it when I get people like you to come in, because then you give me that energy. So I've had to be okay. Instead of like all weekend thinking, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll, I'll prepare something and, and I'll get up early Monday morning and I'll do it then. And, and just saying, you know what? It's not happening this week. And with acceptance, we had a Zoom call with my parents, I think last weekend. They're both around 90, just one above, one below. They're both in dementia. And I can't go visit them. They live in another state. They're very much at risk. My brother who lives with them is very much at risk. And so not bringing potential disease into the household is really important. I am planning to go see them next month. And part of that is going to be doing a two-week quarantine for me at home before I go. And then not stopping as I drive through Ohio. Ohio's on New York's bad list at the moment. Michigan at the moment is not. 
And it's not really about the good list or the bad list. It's that I don't want to bring something in that is going to kill them. Having to accept that I have to limit my ability to see them. When we did the Zoom call, they seemed a little bit confused about what was going on. But it was nice to see them, you know, because I haven't seen them since this started. I was visiting them basically when shutting down. By the time I was driving back, like Michigan and Ohio had stay at home already. And New York could stay at home also. It was that weird, weird time of change. On the plus side, last week, last Sunday, my Sunday night meeting, some of us said we could try having people who are willing to come together appropriately distanced in a park nearby, still do the meeting on Zoom. So the people who don't want to do that are still in the meeting. And I think there were four of us at the park and another, however many on the Zoom. And it worked. It was a little weird really hearing the delay in real time Mm. because maybe I would say something and somebody else's microphone was open that was 10 feet away from me. And so then I would hear my voice come back to me a couple seconds later. It was weird. And so we're going to do that again tonight, assuming that the the weather stays nice and not too hot. It's not the same seeing people on a screen as it is even being 10, 15 feet apart. It's not the same. Having that contact list was really good. And today, this morning, our church services on YouTube, the sermon was about uncertainty. Well, she called it a reflection, not a sermon. It was about uncertainty because there's so much of that going on. At the beginning, she held up her magic eight ball. So I don't know if you're familiar with the magic eight ball. It's a black ball with a window in the bottom and, and it has an eight on it, like a pool ball. Inside, there's a polyhedron of some sort that has answers, words on, on all the sides. And you, you ask it a question, you turn it over and one of the sides floats to the top and it might say yes, and it might say no, and it might say situation hazy, check back later, which she said is her least favorite answer ever. <laughs> But that's what the answers, most of the answers are today. She spoke of checking the news like, oh, is there going to be a vaccine? And what's the conditions? And and the answer is conditions, hazy, check back later. And she talked about some of the things we can do when we're living in uncertainty. A lot of program there. Talked about getting out in nature. Being in the moment, I think, was the big thing. Like, be in today, be in right now. Because... It's too easy to, to live in the uncertainty of tomorrow. But what is happening right now is I've got the dog over here taking a nap and it's sunny day outside and I have a big hunk of meat cooking on the barbecue. You know, that's what's happening today and, and I can be in that moment. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot easier for me to do. I'm grateful in this time to have these tools of recovery, to have these tools of acceptance and just for today and all those other things. So, yeah. That's where I am right now. Thanks, Spencer. Becky, do you feel called? (laughs) Or should I go? Yeah, sure, I'll go. So my week in recovery, I normally do two meetings a week. In lockdown, I've been doing two step meetings a week as well. But we've paused that for the moment because one of the members of our step group is working abroad right now. So she's not available so I've done a little bit of step work in the mornings before work, a little bit of step four inventory. 
but haven't had a, a proper step meeting this week, which I've missed, I have to say. I do service in my Al-Anon group on a Monday evening, which has been on Zoom since the start of COVID. It feels like a long time ago now. It was on step seven, I think. <laughs> it was on step seven. And then I also do adult children of alcoholics and I tech host, I do service in that group as well. So I do that on a Thursday night. I have to say this week, I've really been challenged. I've really, really been tested to kind of go back to basics with my recovery. We've had a little bit of of drama go on in our group. Yeah, I've been really, really challenged to not pick up the ball when it's thrown to me by people who are trying to to make problems and I really really been challenged and I can't say I've been super successful with that but what I have done is I've used halt classic halt and just gone absolutely back to the start (laughs) of my recovery and luckily I spoke to my sponsor And she reminded me that you don't have to pick up the ball when somebody's passing you it. You don't have to react. You don't have to give them what they want. You can detach and just go into self-preservation, which is really what I needed to do. I was so angry, really, really angry at one person for what I felt was destabilizing our recovery group which I really need to be a safe space, you know. So it was really upsetting to have somebody stir problems. And I really was destabilized by it. Yeah, I feel like I've learned a lesson this week and today, especially because I've kind of had a reaction hangover today because I didn't detach soon enough and I let it get to me. I think what I've learned this week is really needing to find strategies like halt to handle my anger because I mean it's a classic like I don't consider myself an angry person which I feel everybody (laughs) says in in all recovery groups and it's such a basic thing I'm not an angry person but I was so mad this week I was so angry and I didn't do anything I was angry for five days before I did something and it's something that I haven't really looked at before I didn't realize how much anger I had inside of me. I feel like the higher power really wanted me to look at that. Mm. My higher power really threw me a curveball that I wasn't ready for. In ACA, we talk about reparenting ourselves and not looking for others to parent us, which I do very often. I look for friends, people in recovery, my partner, I want somebody to just look after me, for God's sake. And as an adult, I can't do that. I need to learn how to reparent myself because that's the only way that I'm going to live in serenity and live in the solution in ACA is is reparenting yourself. And I forgot that. (laughs) Whoops. So, yeah, definitely room for progress and sort of pointing me towards my next steps in my journey. Thanks, Becky. Thanks, Becky. Okay, Amanda, your turn now. Something that I just heard in your share, not to crosstalk, <laughs> so intense about crosstalk, but I heard you just mention serenity and I just, I almost had to laugh like, wow, I didn't touch up that much with 
the topic we just talked about, but it's so important. I just need to preserve my serenity. And that's been a huge thing that I've done this week, which I'm honestly proud. It shows the difference between, you know, pre-recovery me and now just how much more I was able to protect that. It's like that serenity bubble can be so easily popped. I can so easily give it away codependently wanting to help and respond and do every little task someone else asks of me. But really, I have to do first things first. Like, what do I need to do first? The context of this is that I'm living here in England now, but I am originally from California. And unfortunately, there's a situation outside of my control and I have to go back to the States and unfortunately fly during this pandemic. It's not something that I particularly chose to do during a pandemic. And that's happening on Wednesday. So what has come with this is this week I've been really channeling and focusing on bringing it back to the basics. How can I just focus on myself and take care of what I need to do? And and I really can't worry about others. I actually did have to step down a little bit from some service that I normally do. I normally tech host, which basically means like open up the Zoom meeting and stuff on a Friday. The service I've opted in was like for the month of July. But I've had to say I can't do it the last Friday of July and really just sort of trying to honor realistically how much can I do. I can so easily accidentally do too much. So in terms of this week, yeah, I was on our Monday step seven (laughs) meeting for, yeah, because it was the step of the month where we read paths to recovery. And I really like that meeting. A few other days we read from survival to recovery it really feels like this lovely, safe group. It just feels like such a, a Monday, solid recovery and way to like start my week. It really is feeling kind of like my, my home group right now. So it was a really nice way to start my week, even when there was a lot of this chaos that could have activated, triggered me. It's like a good grounding. I am totally loving the the ability to travel the world on Zoom and meetings. I went to a meeting out of Finland, a meeting out of the Netherlands, an awesome one out of New York. And I just love it. I really am loving getting to get to know people. And one thing that's actually really interesting, I was attending like a a faith over fear meeting out of New York. I clicked onto it just because of my schedule of the day, thinking it was one of the ones that it would be like, it's not my home group. I'm not going to know these people. And I recognized two people on the meeting, which was incredibly cool. One of them after I shared, I didn't feel like it was crosstalk at all. Like they just messaged me. They're like, oh, great to see you, Amanda, whatever, like chatted me in the chat box. And it was like, wow, like what an international worldwide recovery community we are in. It's just so beautiful. We had a group conscience meeting. It was totally higher power because the day before I happened to go to a meeting that was on tradition two, which speaks about group conscience. I didn't purposely try to do that. It happened right before that meeting. Yeah. So those are my meetings. And this, this has been incredibly cool to really kind of deep dive into thinking about this topic. And yeah, just really trying to notice how I'm feeling as opposed to pre-recovery me sort of powering through, ignoring my feelings and, and controlling everything around this upcoming travel and getting home and all this stuff. Quite a few curveballs have been thrown. I'm not even going to mention them here because I'll take too long. I'm doing just enough of my shield, my mask. I've done it and I'm really trying to not 
worry because that illusion of preparation, but it's not. Yeah. As I said, trying to bring the focus to myself, be realistic about how much I can do and trying to trust that things will be okay as opposed to fearing. I mean, in the past, I never would have thought I was intentionally fearing. I was never intentionally fearful, but I've really learned there's like an undercurrent of anxiety. I read that recently in some book and I've been practicing feeling it fully. And then it's three days again, if I can fully feel it and accept it, I'm able to take, I would say a more like emotionally sober response and in action as opposed to, I don't know, handling this big transition with, (laughs) without my tools. Yeah. And what an awesome way to end the week. This has been such an awesome experience. Thank you so much, Spencer. This is really cool. And and thank you, both of you, because like I said, this is not a topic that I would have wanted to try to address by myself. And I think I may have another conversation coming up in a couple of weeks. Oh, great. With somebody else. It's great to hear there'd be more voices and perspective because it's a, this is a topic. (laughs) This is a tough one. It's a biggie. It's a biggie. Yeah. We dug into it a little bit today. But there's a lot more to dig, isn't there? Yeah. Any, I mean, sure, any yeah. topic that we talk about, there's always more. Speaking of upcoming, Eric has has brought me this topic where he's titling "It's Not Your Fault." Oh, great. Yeah. Do you blame yourself for everything that is wrong in your life? Do you struggle with low self-esteem? How can you apply the three C's? You didn't cause it, can't control it, can't cure it. Because yeah, it's not your fault. A lot of it, most of it, all of it. I don't know. So we welcome your thoughts. Love to have you guys call in or write in. I prefer to hear your voice because then I don't have to read it. So call, leave a voicemail, send us an email. And Amanda, how can people do that? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. You can also send a voice memo or email to feedback at the recovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of activism in recovery, or any of our upcoming topics, including It's Not Your Fault. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. And Becky, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Our website, therecovery.show, has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, links to the books we read from, and videos for the music we chose. If you are looking for episodes on a particular topic, you can search for keywords, click or tap on search in the menu at the top of the page. And... Becky, looks like you might have picked us a song here. I picked this song. It's pink, and it's called What About Us? I really like this song because of a specific lyric. I don't want control. I want to let go. Because I do both recovery and activism for this reason. My motivation for being in recovery is not so I can gain power, not so I can learn how to fix something, not so I can learn how to have the upper hand, but so I can relax, let go and find serenity. I feel like with activism, 
I'm doing something so that I can feel serenity in the fact that I've taken part. Instead of me getting annoyed about all of these issues and feeling like it's too much, I can look to myself and my side of the street and see what I can do about it and then let go of the rest. And that also gives me serenity. Oftentimes I can feel misunderstood with my activism. I feel really impassioned about politics and I'm bringing things up that I think are important. And people can often think that I'm trying to dominate or that I'm trying to control or force things. But actually, I just want the world to be a better place. And I really just want to be able to let go of all these heavy issues. I want them to be solved and I want everyone to live in harmony. It's not that I want the upper hand or I want people to comply with my vision. It's that I really genuinely want peace and harmony. I want to be able to have serenity. I have a lot of your feedback in my inbox. Be sharing a little bit of it in each of the upcoming episodes. Patty asked about online ACA meetings. The ACA website has an online meeting finder. I already put a link in the online meetings page at therecovery.show slash online. Mike wrote, Hello, Spencer and crew. First, I want to say thank you for making the beginning of your podcast episode about patience a test of my patience. The background music lasted at least twice as long as normal with you and Eric talking over it, making difficult to hear what you were both saying. For some reason, that really bothers me. I was reminded that I need to work on that. Regarding focusing on the solution in meetings, I've been in meetings where people focused on the problem, and, like one listener said, I felt worse afterward. I stopped going to one particular meeting, as that was the trend. I try to keep the focus on the solution when I'm going through tough times, though I still share what I'm going through because my story might help others going through something similar, and the act of voicing things to the group can really help. It helps me anyway. But then I talk about which Al-Anon principles and tools I'm trying to apply to the situation. I'm not sure whether I was able to do that in the darkest periods of 2017 and 2018, but I must have as someone asked me to be his sponsor during that time. Must be, as Paths to Recovery says, my attitudes were worth catching. I didn't see it, but I was working the program like my life depended on it because it did. I also wonder whether it's a trait that I developed in response to growing up with an alcoholic mother who always complained but didn't try to solve the issue. I don't want to be that example to others. You asked for comments on being angry at family members and not talking to them. During the 2017-2018 period that I mentioned before, I was severely depressed and suicidal for 18 months. My alcoholic mother said nothing, which I expected, and my father said only, you'll get through this when the crisis first started. As things got worse for me, he and I continued to have the same phone conversation that we've had for the previous decade. I could script the conversations. He and I used to be really close, but I felt incredibly let down. He came very close to losing his son, but only talked about cars, football, etc. No support whatsoever at a time when I needed it. It's been two years, and I'm still not ready to talk with him. I reply to the occasional text or email, but more out of a sense of obligation because my sister doesn't talk to him at all. Alanon and my sponsor say, let it go, but the hurt is too profound and recent. Thank you again for these podcasts. Take good care. Mike W. from Boston. 
Well, thanks for writing, Mike. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. I'm glad that Alanon has helped you pull out of that dark time. I did fix the volume of the music at the beginning of that episode. Carol talks about putting recovery first. Hi, Spencer. This is Carol from Massachusetts with a topic suggestion of the topic, putting recovery first. I was inspired by yours and Amy's episode on Sober Speak, and Amy mentioned, and I'm going to quote, but it might be not exactly the way she said it, but it was, whatever you put before your recovery, you will lose, as well as your recovery. And I would love to hear more about that. I'm practicing that since that listening to that episode. And it's very, it's challenging to live that way. Anyway, thanks for your service. Take care. Elaine has a topic suggestion. Spencer, I recently discovered the recovery show just when I needed it. Thank you so much for making this resource available. I've been going through the archives, seeing which programs seem most applicable, and I'm so glad to be able to download them and listen when I walk or drive or need a little help in the middle of the night. There is one topic that I have not yet found in the archives, which does not mean it isn't there. That's about managing our programs when our qualifiers have a dual diagnosis, addiction and mental illness or mood disorders, or maybe just other illnesses in general. My story is that after about 10 years of marriage, I finally admitted that my life had become unmanageable. My husband's addiction and my ways of trying to control that addiction and maintain our life had led to much suffering and dysfunction. I finally got to the rooms and began to get better. Eventually, as I stopped enabling and controlling, my husband found his way to his program and our life slowly began to get better. Almost 20 years later, my husband continues to work his program. However, over time, I drifted away from Al-Anon meetings. I still read conference-approved literature every day and have many friends in the program. Our social life is very much intertwined with my husband's recovery community, so the steps and principles of the program were and are still present in our lives. In the meantime, although my husband maintained his recovery, his underlying mood disorder was not effectively treated and eventually became more and more disruptive and problematic. Over time, I reverted to my enabling and codependent behavior. Although I had learned how damaging this could be when addiction was involved, somehow it felt different when we were talking about something that was a conventional illness. I could no longer blame a substance for making things worse. I ended up getting very enmeshed in his illness and treatment in ways that were just like my involvement with his addiction and equally ineffective and damaging to my serenity. I'm still unclear on how to manage my issues and my addiction to managing the behavior and problems of others while also supporting my loved ones in their struggles and illnesses. I'm doing what I can to get reintegrated into meetings while still working on getting Zoom passwords, for example. In the meantime, I know that I am not the only person who has dealt with these issues. I know there is help available to me in the recovery community, and I thought this would make a good topic for your show. Thanks again for your work. It is very much appreciated. Elaine. Yeah, that's, I don't think we have an episode that explicitly talks about that issue. And I know there are many stories out there because there are many different ways in which 
mental illness or mood disorder or other illnesses arise as a dual diagnosis along with alcoholism and addiction. So I'm going to put it out to you, the listener, if this is your experience and you have a little bit of strength and hope to share, call, leave a voicemail, send an email, or volunteer to co-host an episode and we'll talk about your story. And that will help many other people I know. Personally, my loved one suffered from clinical depression along with alcoholism. I think they probably fed and enabled each other, those two diseases. And although she's been sober for many years, the depression is still there, not as severely as it was when she was drinking, but it's still there. And I can't say exactly how, but it seems that the tools that I learned to let go of my need to control her drinking, also I've also been able to apply them in this area. I think the closest I get is, have you taken your meds today? When she seems particularly sad. Just my little bit of experience there. Alexis left us a voicemail about focusing on the solution. Hi, Spencer. My name's Alexis from California, and I was calling because I was listening to your recent podcast about patience and tolerance. The next topic was about focusing on the solution. When I first came into Al-Anon, I had no solution. So when I came to meetings, I definitely just talked about my problems and kind of put my arms up in the air and said, I don't know what to do, guys. But I kept coming back and I kept listening. And I realized that a lot of people were living in situations similar to mine that brought me into Al-Anon and nothing had changed outside of them. But yet they were happy and they weren't just happy, they were content and they had peace and serenity. It started to get the wheels turning in my head that maybe it's not the outside stuff that needs to be solved. Maybe it's something within me. So I got a sponsor. Um, I'm currently working the steps. I'm on step four. So I definitely have to look a lot at myself and who I am in situations. And, and the reason why I bring that up is because as I work step four, I realize that when I go into situations, I'm so quick and easy to just point my finger at other people and say, you are the problem, when in reality, I am the problem. <laughs> I am my biggest problem, as I've been working on my resentments in particular. I have a lot of expectations. I have a lot of judgments. I have a lot of just very conditional thinking. If you do this for me, then I'm going to do this for you. There's a lot of that kind of like back and forth, give and take. I heard someone share this at a meeting recently. Nothing's ever fun or for free. <laughs> I don't think I've ever did anything with that kind of mentality. So I think working the steps for me has really helped me to reevaluate what I even think the problems are. When I came into the rooms, my problems were that I was living with someone in active alcoholism and they were making my life miserable and can't you guys fix it and save me? And in reality, that was but a symptom. Uh, the problem was that I was sick and I was hurting. And I had all this distorted thinking and, and the solutions are actually 
with the knee. It reminds me of a, a speaker once that you shared through your podcast where she said that her problems were her solutions and her solutions were her problems. That just reminds me to bring my eyes back on myself and to look at myself to keep my side of the street clean. That's where my solution is. So I really try to focus on that, not just in my meetings, but even when I talk to my sponsor or when I'm journaling, when I'm meditating, when I pray, to just keep my eyes on me. The other thing I would say is um, there have been times where I have gone to meetings and because one of my defects of character that I've come to discover and see all around me all day, every day, is that I can be so judgmental. It's a, a process and a very conscious thing to try to turn off being judgmental. And one of the things that I learned really early on in Al-Anon, actually I think I learned this from AA. I'm not a member of that program, but I've gone to lots of open AA meetings, was to identify and to not compare. So when I'm listening to somebody share, and I do this not just in Al-Anon, but I try to practice this as much as I can with everybody, is to try to listen for myself and others, to try to identify with them and not compare myself. Because when I try to compare myself to other people, I'm usually either finding that they do things better than I do, or I think that they're doing things worse than I am. (laughs) And either way, it's a judgment. And when I hear that, there's no solution in that for me. But when I listen to other people and try to empathize and try to hear myself in them, that's when I can hear their solution, even when the solution isn't like, this is how I fixed it. Sometimes it's just that it is what it is, and and then it's one day at a time, and that recovery is a process. And sometimes the solution is just that they're a grateful member of Al-Anon. Like, what a huge gift that is, to be a grateful member of this program that that helps me to recover from this disease of alcoholism that's just run rampant and crazy throughout my life and the lives of those I, I love. So that's what's helped me and that's what's worked for me as far as staying focused on a solution, that the solution isn't necessarily what can I do to fix it. So, yeah, the solution is sometimes just that it is what it is. And then I get to be a member of this program, and I get to be a part of the process. I get to be a part of the solution. And sometimes that's just taking my hands off and putting my eyes back on me. So, yeah, I hope this helps somebody out there who's maybe meeting this. And thank you so much for all that you do, Spencer, to bring this podcast. It's been a gift in my life. Thank you. Thank you, Alexis, for that. I got a couple of emails looking for episodes about being a parent of an alcoholic or or addict. I recommended using the search page or the tag search function on the website, which you can also get to from the search page. And I will leave a link to that tag search about parents in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 337. Jane asked about recommended episodes for newcomers. It made me think that I could maybe curate a list of newcomer episodes. Which episodes would you recommend for newcomers? Please write and let me know. Catherine sends some thanks. She says, I really, really needed the irritable and unreasonable episode today. You're welcome, Catherine. I'm glad that we could be there for you. 
Karen also writes, I needed a dose of recovery today, and my higher power reminded me of your show. I knew I was in the right place as soon as I read the title. I threw a tantrum today after a number of small irritations happened in rapid succession. I fumbled my keys in the door twice. My glasses steamed up because I was wearing an uncomfortable mask, and I thought, my distorted thinking beliefs, I was supposed to hurry because my mom was waiting for me to open the door. Then I felt embarrassed at my clumsiness in front of others. So 30 seconds of annoyance activated a five-minute tantrum, followed by half an hour of the family walking on eggshells around me, and finally me making another 10th step admission. This episode helped me, one, to feel not alone, two, gave me an aha moment, and three, offered a number of tools I will use going forward. Gratefully in recovery, Karen. Well, again, glad we could help. We sit here and we talk to each other and somehow our message goes out to you. It's the magic of the program. Laura writes about in-person meetings. Hi, Spencer. I just listened to episode 335, The Impact of Isolation, and wanted to share a suggestion that my group in Indiana recently started. A few weeks ago, we started meeting in the parking lot at the club where our meetings are. Everyone brings their own chair and we space ourselves to maintain social distance. We took a group conscience about mask wearing. Our group voted for making masks a requirement. If someone shows up without one, at least one of us always has an extra mask available. Recently, when rain was threatening our meeting time, we moved to a nearby park shelter. This was perfect because there's a roof but open walls. We've decided to make that our new temporary space until we feel safe enough to meet indoors. Other things we do differently. No hugging or holding hands. No token giving. No basket passing, though we do pass an envelope. It feels so good to see other people and be together physically in the same space. Thank you for keeping your podcasts going during this time. I always look forward to the next one, Laura. And thanks, Laura, for suggesting that or or sharing your experience about uh, meeting in person while we're still distancing, which seems like it's probably going to go on for a while yet. And as you may have heard, one of my meetings has started doing something similar. We're meeting in a park. There is a shelter with a roof near where we meet. Today it's raining, so if it's still raining tonight, those of us who are at the park will probably sit under the roof. But we're out in the open, we're able to stay apart, and it really does make a difference to see each other. Right now our meeting has no expenses. We've been encouraging on uh, all of the Zoom meetings that I attend, we are encouraging people to donate directly to the World Service, which really needs it. They have had a significant budget cut and had to lay off some workers to your region area. It usually is it. It's it. We call it the state level. Although in my area, part of the state's in a different area, but that we still say the state and also your local district Al-Anon may need support. I know for me, all of those are available to donate to online. I will put a link in the show notes here at therecovery.show slash 337 to where you can donate to the World Service. So if you're not donating at your meetings because they're not in person and maybe they don't have expenses that they need to cover right now, really please consider donating to Elanon as a whole. Also, I understand a large fraction of their budget comes from literature sales. If you need literature, you can 
order it online at the store at the al website. So consider that also. Angela shares how she found The Recovery Show. I found your podcast through an online meeting who sent out recovery resources to beginners. At first, having been to Al-Anon over the years, I did not like the way this online meeting was structured. It was just too, well, structured. I felt like it was a bit rigid, and it threw all this information out to beginners. I signed up to their mailing list and got a bunch of reading material, and I felt like it was overwhelming. But as I read through the material, I found that these amazing resources included information on your podcast. What a blessing it has been. Every episode so far has been enlightening. I was especially moved by the episodes with Peggy G. and Michelle B., such encouraging stories of recovery. I also enjoyed the episode with Julie L., as I learned so many tools I did not even consider. Goes to show, how do I know what I don't know? This meeting is doing what it needs to do for beginners, and I learned a lesson in keeping an open mind. Little smiley face there. One of the first episodes I listened to was the one where you were a guest speaker at the Sober Speak podcast with John M. Another blessing. My Al-Anon sponsor has been encouraging me to go to open AA meetings so I could see what the disease really looked like from the alcoholic's perspective. And my therapist was encouraging me to go to open AA meetings so I could see what an alcoholic in recovery looked like. I knew with the current pandemic lockdown that finding an open AA meeting would be difficult. And lo and behold, there they are at my fingertips. There are no coincidences, and I know today, as long as I'm willing and working the program, taking the suggestions, showing up, that I am guaranteed healing one day at a time. Thanks again, Angela. Thank you. Thank you, Angela, for, again, sharing more than just thanks, um, talking about what you've found here, because maybe somebody else is looking for that, and you'll help them to find it. I want to echo your sponsor and your therapist about open AA meetings because I found those to be of huge value, uh, particularly when I was young in the program and my loved one was still drinking to, as you say, see what it looked like from the alcoholic's perspective and to see what alcoholics in recovery look like. And I don't mean physically, I mean what their life is like and, and how different it is. I also have a couple of shares here from Alina. Alina shares about the three C's, didn't cause it, can't cure it, and can't control it. And our episode, Pain is Inevitable, Suffering is Optional. Hi, my name is Alina. I just wanted to share on episode um, 81 on the three C's. I didn't cause it, I can't cure it, and I can't control it. I remember when I first heard the three C's in the program, I think it's one of my favorite slogans as far as just trying to keep my mind focused and where it needs to be and not let my head start thinking and my mind start worrying and, and obsessing. I know that it helps me even now, but I think when it really showed itself was when my qualifier, when he would have relapse for a while, they were frequent. And then after a while, he became clean and sober for long, longer periods of time. And I would find myself going through these same scenarios and same patterns where he would relapse and I would just get upset by it and consumed. And of course, it's understandable just to be upset. I try to understand 
what he's going through, but I'll never understand addiction as far as living it like he does. I just try to have empathy and just realize and step aside and realize it's a disease and just love him for the person that he is and realize that this doesn't make him a bad person. It just means that he's sick and he needs help. There's nothing that I can really do. In the beginning, before I started working the steps and getting a sponsor, I was really consumed by fixing him and I want to do things which I now realizes enabling him, making sure he had everything and making sure the time that we spent together was really special and always doing and not really letting him do for himself like he should be. And I think that caused a lot of codependency on both of our parts. I still feel like I suffer from that a little bit too. And I think he does too, but sometimes I feel like I'm a lot worse off than he is when it comes to that codependency. I've come to realize that I didn't cause anything. I never will cause whether he's relapsed clean or, or whatever. I didn't cause it. I definitely can't cure it. I can only work on myself and I can't control it. I'm powerless. I'm powerless over a lot of things. I just have to realize it's up to me to make myself happy and to live my life and do for me. I found that I'm a lot happier that way. Um, I'm not saying I'm perfect and I'm not saying I don't slip back into those feelings or categories, but I know for sure that it's helped me and my um, life and self-care and it's also helped us in our relationship I'm just super grateful for that and the program and just knowing that but now that he's been clean for how long has it been almost it's we're approaching two years soon but basically 20 months clean and when he first starts getting clean for a lengthy period of time, I start getting worried. I don't want to enjoy the good. I'm always worrying about what's going to happen. The bad thing is going to happen. Is this going to cause a trigger? Is this going to do this? And I still fall into that little mindset sometimes and I need to not do that. And I catch myself, but I still do it. I try to share with my sponsor, talk to my friends and do the steps and listen to the podcast and share when I can. And now that he's got 20 months clean, I just want to embrace that and just be grateful and know that God has a plan for him, just like God has a plan for me. I can't worry about anything past that. Thanks for the topic. Thanks. I wanted to share on episode 82, which was on pain and suffering. I like that saying that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. I did write that on my little whiteboard at work when I was listening to the podcast. I guess there's a lot going on. When I was listening to that podcast, we're going through the quarantine here and just a lot of changes and different protocols we're following at work and just being mindful and aware of what's going on around us in the news. And it's just a lot going on. We're having protests across the United States and even in other countries. And it's just so crazy to witness all this. I feel like it's a dream a little bit. It's just so surreal sometimes. I know that I can either sit in it and it's okay to have my feelings and acknowledge it and feel what it is, but then it's up to me to get up and either do something about it or just continue to live my life and not really dwell or 
have self-pity or obsess about things. As far as my personal life goes, there's going to be a lot of changes at work that kind of are bothering me. I've always told myself, and I don't know why, I always tell myself that I can handle anything at work. I'm strong. I've been doing this for a long time. I'm confident, which I am. And I always tell myself, oh, it doesn't affect me because I feel if it does, then it makes me weak. I try not to let it affect my personal life, but sometimes it does because my qualifier and I, although we're not in the same building, we work for the same company. And so there's a lot of common ground that we always discuss and people that we work with and things that we don't really necessarily agree with, but we know what's our responsibility and what's not. And it just gets really frustrating when the perspectives are twisted. But I know that with a lot of changes can come good things. So I'm trying to focus on that and not really get so upset and have a lot of negativity. I just need to push forward. Today, I'm supposed to have a meeting with my boss. A few of us are actually, and I was kind of nervous about that. I'm going to go in and just have an open mind and know that God has a plan for me and that it'll be okay. I guess I'm just going to focus on other things too in my life that I'm grateful for the time that I have acquired because of the quarantine, working on self-care and being at home more, doing more things with my husband. I don't know. It just feels good. I just don't feel as pressured either. I think that's another thing. I have a lot of things going on and I think I put that pressure on myself to be everything, do everything, and I need to slow down. And I don't know. It's just nice to have that pace to go through and that peace. It does help with my serenity. So I thank you and I hope you have a good day. Our last song selection is A Change Is Gonna Come by Sam Cook, which you can listen to at therecovery.show slash 337. Yeah, I really love this song. It speaks to me about how heavy and dark some things can sometimes feel within an unjust society, the world of activism and the family disease of alcoholism. Yeah, the the heaviness of it really feels the same to me often. But the song, it's hopeful and trusting that all things will get better if we carry on. I really love this. It works if you work it, so work it, you're worth it, is what I feel like the song is saying to carry on. And then change will come if we do our part. And I think this is a huge parallel as well. My experience within the family disease of alcoholism can change when I change. And I think that this song resonates. So here are some of the lyrics. It's been too hard living, but I'm afraid to die because I don't know what's up there beyond the sky. There have been times I thought I couldn't last for long, but now I think I'm able to carry on. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change is going to come. Oh, yes, it will. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.